0: with our studies in Jude. And we'll be reading this afternoon verse 14 through the end of the chapter in Jude. Verse 14, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all that are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him these are murmurers complainers walking after their own lusts, and their own and their mouths speaking grace words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage but beloved Remember ye the words that were spoken before by the Apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have they told you there should be markers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts? These are they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we just have read the scriptures. Now we pray, Father, that you will open them up to us, that you will enlighten our hearts and minds, and that you may reveal to us those true realities of things, even in our own day, that fit within the words of Jude, and of those things to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we um, look at this passage this afternoon, I have uh, several areas we want to look at. I wrote them out in detail on the back of your bulletin, but uh, in brief I've put them here on the board for you under the theme of prophecy of Enoch. Um, The reason I make this the main theme here is because it seems to be that that is the example that... uh, uh, Jude focuses on at the end of his short epistle here. Um, and there's some confusion perhaps maybe about the prophecy of Enoch, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But Enoch's prophecy of things to come were of rebellion and apostasy of the pre flood people with future revelation. And so here as we look at um, Jude, just for a moment, uh, glance down, if you would, at verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convict all that are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And then of course he goes on further. Um, Just to say this, uh, the insert that I have placed in your bulletin this afternoon is of four different uh, renditions. Um, And just to show first of all that the Syriac uh, rendition here on page four, if you have a number there, is uh, is from the Apocrypha. Now, obviously, the Apocrypha was not accepted as canonical by the Church Fathers because they realized there was much tradition perhaps associated with the Apocryphal writings. And not only so, they did not fit truly the criteria of canonical scripture, that is, scripture that would be included within the Bible. Uh, so... Uh, we find that um, Enoch uh, evidently knowing of this uh, prophecy uh, which uh, was given um, in, the, in at least the historical and traditional sense was using it to support other evidence that uh, within, is within scripture concerning rebellion and concerning those who were apostate against God. Now what were they? Well we've already looked at them. We've looked at Korah and Dathan and others within the uh, scripture here that uh, Enoch mentions. And um, as the angels that rebelled, as Korah and Dathan, these historical uh, evidences of people who rebelled against God um, then were also apostate against the authority of God. Um, and so this traditional, this traditional writing became a platform for Jude to then write himself upon the subject of apostasy. So um, the first one here in the Syriac uh, may read similar to this. People telling the wisdom of him and the church, telleth the prophesying of him. Enoch pleased God and was translated into paradise that he should give, uh, gave wisdom to folks and that comes from the wisdom, uh, come from Wycliffe Bible and the apophical version. Um, on page 5 the next page over of course you see the KJV version and Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters and all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him so the very last uh, sentence here obviously points out um, that uh, Enoch walked with God, and God translated him. And so it uh, establishes the the presence of Enoch in the Old Testament. The presence uh, also indicating that he pleased God, that he walked with God, and that he was taken by God. Uh, on page six, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And of course, that comes out of the King James and we just read that uh, in the book of Jude. And then uh, lastly, we find the Wycliffe Bible uh, also giving their version of that same uh, says therefore Enoch lived five and sixty years and gendered Methuselah or Methuselah and Enoch uh, stayed or was with God and Enoch lived after he gendered Methuselah 300 years and gendered sons and daughters and all the days of Enoch were made there three hundred and five and sixty years and Enoch was with God and appeared not afterward for God took him away. <laughs> so that's the Wycliffe Bible. Uh, but you see, uh, we sometimes we say well, we have trouble with translations today. Well, if we go back a few hundred years, you everybody would have a great deal of difficulty trying to read some of the uh, Elizabethan English. Uh, But um, the reason I added that uh, all for you is not only for a certain amount of um, enlightenment as to some of these other translations, but just to show you that Enoch obviously did live. He is mentioned in the Bible in the book of Genesis. Uh, He is a man who did make certain prophecies Um, We find that it was recorded in the traditional writings of the Apophrica in the Syriac, and we find that the people that Enoch was talking to, communicating with, wrote to in his day, would have been aware of Enoch. Now we have to remember this, that all of this that Enoch is saying is to support the view, that there was a turning away from God, there was an apostasia within the church. And how does that... Sometimes we think of the church as only right here in this local type of New Testament setting setting that we all enjoy as local churches. But we understand that wherever the people of God were to worship, in some sense there was a congregational view of it. Even in the Old Testament there was a congregational view of, of people who were worshiping God and so what about pre-flood period oh did not the patriarchs also support the view of worshiping God and did not they also say that they should live godly Uh, in other words we find in each period or generation of people or the area of progressive revelation as God revealed himself more and more to people we find that there was a need to worship God, there was a need to be true to God, and that they were warned against apostasia, or turning away from God. And so uh, we find that Jude uses all these Old Testament illustrations, which people would have been very much aware of, to reinforce to them that there was still this apostasy or turning away from God, which was infecting the church, which was infecting the believers, um, and and so this uh, this this spiritual uh, decline, if you will, um, Jude speaks about as not just re- residing within the Old Testament. He, in other words, he bridges it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's why he brings out all these illustrations. Otherwise, they wouldn't have any, any true application. But they do have a true application. Because people, ever since the fall, uh, ever since the, the great sin of Adam and Eve, we find that this tendency to turn away from God has been very much a prevalent uh, circumstance within the lives of people and so the first thing we see Enoch's prophecy of things to come of rebellion and apostasy of the pre-flood people has with it future revelation because Jude puts it in that context he puts it in that context that's why when we refer to verse 14 and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these things these things, what things? The things that Jude has already been mentioning, the fact that the church was suffering from apostasy, from those who had turned away from God, uh, from this rebellion, if you will, against God. he says, "Behold the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints." Uh, now we know that that obviously would not even be fulfilled until future uh, period of time, at the end of the church age. So here we see that uh, this does bridge between the Old Testament to the New Testament. Whether the apostasy is spoken of by illustration in the Old Testament and, or by, by the uh, word of Jude in the New Testament, we find that the same rebellion and turning away from God and lack of repentance obviously was something that Noah preached. Now, if we were to put ourselves in the, in the pre-flood period and see the activity of people that was going on, we might uh, con- concede and say with great affirmation, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, did not Jesus speak those words? Or, you know, I might not be quoting exactly, but those words were spoken by Christ. And so, also, then, this apostasy, which sometimes we like to isolate right to the church in the New Testament setting, is also something that we can see in society. Because, you see, the pre-flood period was a people of society. They they were not people of the pre-flood church. that that was located on the corner of Noor and Enoch um, and they had a big edifice there no, it was a patriarchal period and the, the whole generations of people became known as turning away from God the sons of God married the daughters of men and it turned out that this corruption of the Um, genealogy if you will the corruption of the line of Seth and the corruption uh, into the line of Cain became a very important turning point in fact so great that God said that it repented him that he had made man it grieved him in his heart that he had made man and so uh, Noah did preach uh, the judgment of God to fall upon them And we find that because of their great apostasy and their great turning away, um, God did bring that judgment. Now, of course, Pastor Bo has been going through the book of Revelation and has been issuing out these various um, warnings, if you will, to these seven churches. And uh, what do they lead up to? But to the great seven-year period of tribulation and the ultimate end of the church age and uh, the various judgment that will come of course now why is that going to happen at all except there is a great rebellion within society there is a great turning away from god there is a, a great uh, um, unbelief in the hearts and minds of people toward god and we find this represented in many ways and so in verse 15 he says to execute judgment upon all and to convict all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him and so the word ungodly as you can see here is mentioned about four times and, and so with that kind of emphasis that Jude is bringing uh, to this matter of the rebellion and the apostasy of those who are turning away uh, from God uh, is something that we have to really take note of and realize that this will dominate the end of the church age. This rebellion will dominate it. It will be uh, very much a, um, a, the focus of society at the end of the church age. It will be a, a great turning away from God and uh, what does he say about them he says um, these are murmurers complainers walking after their own loss and their mouths speak great swelling words well uh, we know that Korah and Dathan of course did bring much complaining and murmuring against Moses in other words um, the church has been under attack for a long time the Old Testament congregation was under attack Even when God sanctioned a leader like Moses to lead His people, and so the old church, the old congregation within the congregation within the Old Testament was under attack. The congregation within the church today is under attack, and we've seen it on a number of different fronts. Um, The the attack of Scripture. uh, There is a great diminishing of the Word of God. The attack against. uh, the people within the church by undermining uh, the cultural and historical life of uh, believers. And um, as we look in the Old Testament, and I bring you back again to the pre flood period and that generation, what was the major problem? The major problem was that they were corrupting the godly line. You see, the set line of Seth was being corrupted into the ungodly line of Cain. And so what do we call that? Intermarriage. Now it used to be that the church of Jesus Christ would say, there should never be intermarriage from believer into unbeliever. In other words, if you have a believing spouse, you should not marry an unbelieving, the unbelieving. Of course there is provision if one is married in such a case, but the ideal is that the believer should not marry an unbeliever, and this was commonly taught within the tradition of the of the New Testament Church, very commonly, uh, and uh, especially within the Jewish congregation of, of belief system. It was taught, but today it's you never hear never hear of it spoken from the pulpit either. I mean, some very conservative circles might say it, but otherwise you will not hear anything about intermarriage between the believer and the unbeliever very very little is said but that was the whole reason why the pre flood people suffered the great corruption into ungodliness and Noah seems and uh, here Jude seems to mention that when he brings up this prophecy of Enoch because there was a great ungodliness and a great turning away from God and he places it within that context of apostasy. And so we find that God does and will execute judgment upon the ungodly. He says, the ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which they have ungodly sinners have spoken against him, against God. And, in, and uh, to put it in the New Testament context, against Jesus Christ. Not only the Father, but the Son. And we find that, that there is a great assault against uh, um, Jesus Christ today. Uh, truly, there is, uh, there is a lack of belief in many uh, quarters concerning the Christology of Christ. And so he says that uh, they are uh, murmurers. The warning spans history from before the flood to the end of the church age. We must say that because of these obvious examples that Jude uses. And so this this was not just something that was happening in Jude's day, even though Jude was very much aware of this apostasy that was in the local New Testament church. And he was using all this for an example. But obviously, it was not just then. But it, it, it it had been going on for a long time. In fact, every example that he gives here is one which spans the history of the church if we might use that term. It spans the whole history of the church. And so they were murmurers, they were complainers, they were walking after their own lusts and their mouths speaketh grace swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And so there was this great element of pride, um, putting, putting words out and trying to impress people Or we might just say, we might just well say this, intellectualism often causes people to have swelled up heads and they want to impress people with their great knowledge. And they think that they have achieved a greater knowledge than the Bible because they look at the Bible as kind of antiquarian. It's it's just out of step with time. And why do they think that? Because a natural man receiveth not the things of God, and neither can they know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And so we find over and over again this spiritual problem within the heart of man, this spiritual turning away from God, this spiritual unbelief, the spiritual rebellion against God, this spiritual, really, lack of true knowledge for the sake of this intellectualism which many people propagate and think is true I and mean, where, where does evolution come from? intellectualism it comes from man's own view of so-called science and and the various philosophies and psychologies of man they all come from the same place that intellectual element of man who wants to come up with his own ideas of how things work and, and uh, how to solve problems when the word of God has the true answers and so these uh, this period uh, that that Jude talks about when, when he brings up Enoch truly does span a greater uh, element of time, a greater element of time. Thirdly, the result of the godly life is eternal life, a godly compassion, a holy sanctification, and redemption from the curse. Now as we read on, he says this, verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words that were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here, now now Jude begins to access. Don't you remember the apostles and what they had to say? Now Jude doesn't call himself an apostle. He begins by calling himself a servant of the Lord. But now he says, he brings in this subject, and of course his audience would have been very familiar with the apostles. They lived in the first century these people were living in the first century this is only considered to be somewhere around 60 well yeah 68 ad according to this, this particular rendering here but within that framework of maybe 65 to 70 ad long in there so this is the first century do you remember the the the, the words of the apostles of our lord jesus christ And you see, the the true message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't changed since the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ delivered it in the first century. And so today, you see, the same thing is true. The, The gospel has not changed. The intellectual element of man and the psychology of man and the psychosis of man and how he wants to solve all his problems has not changed the gospel. It just shows us how that man has continued to rebel against the Lord. He says, remember, uh, those words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there should be markers in the last time. Now, again, he's, he's bringing out more elements of rebellion, not in the Old Testament. He says, in the last time. In the last time. So you see how this has spanned all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And and uh, this rebellion continues. It continues. The apostles even said that. He said, Jude, Jude said, don't just take my word for it. Even the apostles said this. Remember? Remember? He says, how they told you there should be mockers in the last time. Who should walk after their own ungodly Lust. So just as the as the uh, the pre-flood people walked after their ungodliness, just as the Old Testament period of time concerning Moses and those who rebelled against God walked against their own ungodliness, he says they're still doing it. It is still happening. And then the last time, the apostle said it will continue. It will continue. How they told you they should be markers in their time, in the last time, who should walk after their ungodly lusts. Look at what happened in our society today. Uh, LBGQ2 plus and a few minuses and, well, you can't keep up with it. I mean... It, They started out with gay and lesbians, and now they've added bisexuals and bestiality, and they've added just about every perversion to the list that they can they can add. And they say this is okay. And they're even now going on to transgenderism. You know, in other words, they they have they're destroying the gender of man. Gender confusion. I mean, it just it, it becomes uh, ridiculous after a while, just plain ridiculous. What is it then? What is it? It's their ungodly lusts. Verse 18, ungodly lusts. These are people in the last times, in their ungodly lusts. And if we're not living in the last times, well, obviously the New Testament is the last times. But maybe we could say we're living in the last, 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 and last times. I mean, it's getting closer all the time to where we say, well, when is enough enough? And then we remember the long suffering of God in relationship to the pre-flood people and how that he allowed Noah to preach during that whole period of time when he was building the great ark to uh, deliver that family out of the old world. In other words, God is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but he desires that they should come unto repentance. Now, obviously, he is writing to New Testament Christians because he wants to encourage us that God hasn't given up on you And God hasn't given up on them yet. And God's plan of redemption covers a wide span of time right up until the day he comes. Or at least the great tribulation period. And then it is believed that many will go through the great tribulation period and and come out to be believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it will be very difficult. And so we find that they they walk after their ungodliness. These are they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Now, two things are uh, mentioned here. Sensual can mean not only carnal, but it can also the carnality of people can go very low. Obviously, Romans chapter one tells us of the reprobateness of the mind and heart, and how how difficult that reprobateness can can uh, go. It can it can truly go down into the very depths of what we're seeing today in the, in the gay and lesbian and LBG and binary and transgender and you name a few more. I mean, there's a plus on the end and they're not willing to give up anybody's perversion but say that they can have it all and at the same time, you know, they, they, they live in a sense of hypocrisy because they, they have little morality at all. But they call themselves moral. These are they who separate themselves central, having not the spirit. And of course the second thing here is that we must note, they do not have the spirit of God. They do not have the spirit of God. And so we shouldn't think here that somehow these people, are in the end, just going to slip in by the skin of their teeth through the gates of heaven they're not they're not rebellion against God is not being rewarded by giving, by sending them to paradise no, only Enoch only Enoch was such and Elijah the only two that we know that made it through unto paradise without dying and so we find that uh, that today, you know these people who are rebelling against God, those who are living in ungodly lust, those who are sensual by their very nature, those who are carnal, those who have turned away from God, those, whether they were pre-flood people or whether they're after the pre-flood time and into the New Testament, they are all considered to be the same. They are unbelieving and have turned away from God. And there is a great apostasy that is prevailing upon the world at the end of the church age a great apostasy so much that Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah he mentions the pre-flood people but ye beloved now this is the good part of course and, and uh, refers largely to the third uh, element here the result of the, of the godly life is eternal life it starts with eternal life. Now, on to, um in verse um, yeah, verse twenty. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. You see, here it is. He says, contend for the faith. Now he says, build up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, ye who do have the Spirit of God need to pray, and when you do pray, it's after the Spirit of God which we pray. Amen. We say, Amen was Pastor Bo mentioned this morning. Why do we do that? Because we want God to know that we agree with God. We don't agree with man, we agree with God. That's who we agree with. And so we want our prayers to agree with God. And so we pray in the Spirit, in the true Spirit of God, in the Holy Spirit of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And so, he not only tells them here that, um, that they need to have that most holy faith, they need to pray in the Holy Spirit, they need to be kept in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, none of us would make it if it were not for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unto eternal life, he says. Unto eternal life. And so, here we have it. The results of a godly life is eternal life. That's the first thing that we see. Secondly, and some having compassion, making a difference. Compassion, of course, is that uh, agape compassion. You know, it's that godly compassion. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Uh, He's not talking about any other love but the love of God. It's a godly compassion. It's a compassion that God has given to us. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the gamut spotted by the flesh. And so he has that sense here um, that if we have a true love toward God, we can be used to, re- to bring some of these out of judgment who are headed in that direction. And of course, he, you know, he mentions here... Um, And others save with fear. What kind of fear? Well, the fear of the Lord. What other kind of fear is there that God approves of? You see, there isn't any. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and with the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so we have that fear of God. And what are we doing? We're seeking to bring them out of judgment. And we hate even the garment that is spotted by the flesh. Well, the garment, the... Well, Pastor Bo talked about that this morning, too, you know, the white robes and so forth. The white robes are not spotted, and they, they, they have no singe of fire upon them. No, we have, we have the white robes because of the righteousness of Christ. And so, he, you know, he's referring here to the carnality of the world. He wants us to hate sin and to love righteousness. And to realize that we can be used in in bringing some of these out of their rebellion and unbelief, their turning away from God. I mean, why else would Noah have Noah preached another 120 years, except it was to do this same this very same thing? Why else would Moses have appealed to Noachor and Dathan and said, "Be careful! If you carry your senses around and come before God, God's gonna just..." zap you (laughs) and he did (laughs) you know every one of these examples falls within the same category look out the warning is being given here and so this godly compassion we have eternal life we should have a godly compassion we should have a holy sanctification Uh, he says now unto him that is able to keep you from falling to keep you from falling now there's only one kind of sanctification that can keep us from falling and that is the sanctification of God Jesus Christ initiated that work of sanctification of setting us apart unto himself the word holy often means to be set up set apart to make holy sanctified to make holy set apart Jesus Christ did the setting apart he did the calling he, he, we have been elected as it were predestinated well those are big words of course and we don't know the full extent perhaps of how all that happens but we know one thing it didn't come from us it came from God that's where it came from and so here it is able to keep you from falling Able to keep you from falling. The preservation, the perseverance of the saints. Uh, You see, God can keep us from falling. And uh, we should realize that this sanctification is uh, very much a real uh, doctrine. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy and so he not only keeps us from falling but he brings us unto future glorification and what is the future glorification to present you to present you um, in the, before the presence of his glory God is going to present you before the presence of his now that's future glorification you see There is a sanctification here. God began that great work of sanctification. But the future glorification, I mean, that is something that's going to happen when we see Him. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Future glorification, you see. And He says, with exceeding joy. Well, we do look forward to that day with great joy and rejoicing, do we not? That we will be with Christ. We'll have that future glorification. So he says the results of a godly life is eternal life, eternal life, godly compassion, a holy sanctification, and redemption from the curse. Redemption from the curse because we are presented before Him unto His glory. The curse no longer has any effect upon us. We are then fully glorified with Christ and we are fully redeemed from the curse fully redeemed from the curse and those things can be very easily seen here in what Jude is saying now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy And he gives this wonderful benediction. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. You see. Amen. We agree with God. Jude mentions this as a benediction, as a doxology, if you will, to give glory unto God. And we agree with him. You see, sometimes we need to say that out loud. We need to say, I agree with God here. Because God is using Jude to say this to me. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever, now ever. Amen. Amen. Jude brings out some prophetic statements about Enoch. And then he begins under the Holy Spirit's leading, under the inspiration of the Word of God, to elaborate more and more and more until he brings us within the presence of God himself. And he did all this to say to the church. You need to contend for the faith. You need to contend. Because in the world there is a great apostasia. There is a great turning away. And the apostles have told us that it would happen in the last time. Insomuch that it would be comprehensive. It would be fully that apostasy would fully engulf the world. Because Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. You see. I'd like to mention a couple of things that I received in a recent uh, newsletter by Gary Carr. Uh, He writes on these various um, cultural things that are going on, as well as uh, things in the political realm but he says here brace yourselves contrary to what some may believe the progressive socialists who are driving the one world agenda are not stupid they are evil they are for the most part highly educated intellectuals we talked about that a little bit didn't we? these highly educated intellectuals who have rejected God in favor of an immoral anti-christian demonically driven worldview. Now see that's the God of this world view. That is the worldly system in which we live. They are determined to force their worldview on their subjects even if it means the elimination of Christian and Jewish conservatives who stand in their way. We are witnessing a classic revolution, a rebellion, if you will. But this time with the aid of the advanced communications, surveillance, and psychological weapons, while God could still intervene, it will consider uh, I will consider us for future for a future element if we make it to this false election in one piece as a nation so he you know he he kind of says it with a sense of foreboding also he continues under the title of coming shortages he says there is food shortage there will be a food shortage we will be facing an actual lack of sustenance here in America the land of plenty would you have ever thought that there would be a 70% shortage of baby formula yet it has happened in february shortly before the ukraine war broke out a friend who owns a very large farm and politically well connected called me specifically to give me a heads up he said gary you're going to what they're going to weaponize food he went on to share the following account a friend from his church who likewise owned a large farm unexpectedly died of a heart attack a few weeks after his death two men showed up at his widow's the widow's door after offering her condol- their condolences they asked her how much money she would like for her farm assuming that she would want to sell it that she was a widow and wouldn't want to run such a big operation herself she responded that she had no interest in selling the men asked her but if you would sell what would you want for the farm after some time the widow reluctantly gave the account amount the nice men promptly offered thirty percent more my friend told me that this type of land grab by huge corporate conglomerates is taking place throughout north america as it turned out the two men work for a company owned by china The fact is more and more of America's farms are owned and controlled by Chinese front organizations as are many of the food processing plants, especially in the area of meat production. This is just one of the ways the foreign interests have gained direct influence over our food supply. He goes on to mention that because of the war in Ukraine, you, the Ukrainian people who usually plant a large amount of grain um, have, are not being able to distribute their grain. And that because of the blockade uh, by Russia, this grain is not reaching the, uh, the destination. He see, the effects of this will be global. Parts of Africa are especially vulnerable to Russia, Ukraine, commodity disruptions. Somalia, Benin imports 100% of their wheat from Russia or Ukraine, Egypt 82%, Sudan 75%, the Congo 69%. The United States will not be unaffected. We will experience severe shortages as well. Therefore, you are urged to prayerfully... And con- to consider your own situation and respond accordingly by purchasing apple food supplies for long shelf life. And so uh, you know he goes on. Uh, I'll mention one other area called global governance. He says another area of targeted manipulation by globalist forces involves our health industry. They are strategically implementing a system of global health governance through the UN World Health Organization, which is being heavily influenced and funded by Bill Gates and the allies within the World Economic Forum and the Vatican Catholic Archbishop, Carlo Murillo Vegano, who has served under the last four popes, has dared to put himself on the line by speaking out against the Vatican's international cooperation with the scheme. In the coming days, the nations will adhere to a World Health Organization, will vote on resolutions regarding whose management of pandemics. These resolutions will transfer sovereignty regarding the health of citizens to a supranational body that is largely financed by the pharmaceutical industry and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. If these resolutions are approved by a majority, the WHO will have exclusive international authority in the case of a pandemic to impose all rules, including quarantines, lockdowns, obligatory vaccinations, and vaccine passports. It should also be borne in mind that this organization enjoys immunity, and thus its members cannot either be tried or convicted if they commit crimes. Unelected technocrats will paradoxically have more power than that which citizens confer on their representatives by means of democratic rule. One other mention, under the title of UN uh, and Biden, Biden unleashes transgender indoctrination. As woke corporations and Democrats shrieked because Florida's new law protecting children from LGBTQ plus indoctrination in kindergarten to third grade, the United Nations and the Biden administration were busy pushing transgenderism into school classrooms worldwide. Indeed, the, the UN, through its UniAIDS organization, even launched a program called Unbox Me to bully teachers into pushing gender confusion on children worldwide. In partnership with an advertising agency, the UN Outfit launched a global propaganda program last week. Many of us take our gender identity for granted, but for cho- many children, it is not so easy. It's a matter of daily survival, a daily struggle, says UNAIDS director of communications and global advocacy. Children all around the world must be supported in expressing their identity freely. The UN scheme was launched on, uh, on what is called Transgender Day of Visibility on March 31st. All around the world, from India to Europe, to the United States, government schools celebrated gender confusion and indoctrinated children to believe that they can choose choose their gender. In the United States, the Biden administration sent letters to every state attorney generally threatening them. If they stand in a way of male, uh, males using girls' bathrooms or playing in girls' sports, the administration also said children must be offered life-altering alterna- hormones and surgical manipula- uh, mutilations of genitals. The administration also unveiled a battery of new programs to peddle transgenderism to children in school. These include training to support transgender and non-binary students in schools through the Office of Safe and Supported Schools as well as using tax dollars to peddle sex changes for children, now described as gender-affirming care. Why do I read any of this? Because what Jude says applies to our culture. It applies to a culture that is in rebellion against God a culture that does not want to adhere to the Word of God nor to the Ten Commandments nor to the morals of a country that believes in the Judeo-Christian principles and of course these things you perhaps have already heard of on the news some of them perhaps you've read about others you haven't maybe but this is the kind of thing that is going to happen in the last days and it will increase more and more are we there yet? nobody knows but one thing we do know that this great apostasia is not limited to one specific area but is now turning global around the world and it is turning away from God and though Jude's warning was to a, a small local assembly or local assemblies of churches within Asia Minor or maybe extended out a little bit further, we find that all these things apply to us too. They apply to us. We have to keep these things in mind too because the worldview which we are up against is an evil and ungodly worldview. View. The prophesyings of Jude reached from the very pre flood period to the end of the church age. Just as much of the scripture in relationship to Christ's coming also says, so shall it also be. So let us pray, Father, that the Lord may guide us and direct us at these times Father we do pray and ask for your blessing we do pray Father and and know that we are facing difficult times ahead we do pray Father and help us that we might realize of these warnings that were given in the New Testament in the first century and the apostles gave such warnings and we find that those warnings are still very much in place and that we must heed them Lord preserve us even as you said that you would unto eternal life preserve us in faith preserve us in sanctification preserve us unto future glorification preserve us that we will be known as the people of God and that our Amen will be added unto the Amen of Jude we give thanks and praise to you in Jesus name Amen. And for a closing, closing hymn, we'll put one up here. I've got one. About 639, faith of
1: our five. In spite of the guilt